Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to another uh, episode of Talking Notes. <laughs> it's after dark. I forgot where I was there for a minute. Where are you uh, starting already? <laughs> um, tonight, see, we have a good show. We are being joined by Deacon Eric Windsor, and we are going to be discussing um, the little office of the Blessed Sophia. Uh, so, welcome, Deacon Eric. How are you this evening? I'm good. How are you? Very, very good. It's uh, kind of like I said, an unusual synchronicity that you're on tonight's show because uh, you recently came into uh, uh, into discussion in my own personal life with with one of uh, of our bishops up in Canada who had directed me to your blog and he was like, "Have you seen this?" And he was very excited <laughs> about this. And it's like, "Wow, this is really good." And it's like, and he said, "Well, who writes this?" It's like, um, "Well, if you take a look at the first <laughs> post upon here." that gives kind of a little graphic of the book, I would have to guess it's someone by the name of Eric Windsor. He's like, how did I miss that, you know? Um, <laughs> but without even knowing who you were, he was totally fascinated with, uh, uh, with the work you're doing. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved with Nazism, um, you know, and we'll go from there. Okay, well, uh I don't know. I, I was always kind of fascinated with Gnosticism. Um, I've always liked to study world religions. And uh, I remember even as a kid, when I first heard that there were scriptures outside of the Bible, I wanted to read them and yep. find out what they said and why they weren't in the Bible. And um, so when I was about 18, um, I received a copy of the other Bible uh, mm -hmm. from my mom for Christmas. Mm -hmm. And she was kind of like, don't tell your dad, because he'll probably freak out. But uh, <laughs> I read it. I, I enjoyed it, you know, and, and just started reading more and more Gnostic scripture. And never occurred to me that there would be a, a Gnostic church out there that would actually use these scriptures. But um, then when I got into college, I, you know, I was Catholic. And uh, I kind of stepped away from Christianity for a while. Um, but... Uh, Right after graduating, I found out that uh, there was a Gnostic church here in Seattle, and so I, I went and checked them out, and I've been there ever since. I, I loved their liturgy, and I love the people there, and mm -hmm. so I stuck around. <laughs> and which church, for those who are, again, who aren't familiar with you, are, is it that you're associated with? So I, I go to Hagia Sophia Parish, which is a mm -hmm. parish of the Ecclesia Gnostica. Um, our bishops are Stephen Heller, Heller and Stephen Marshall. Mm -hmm. so. Very, very good. And how did you, well, uh, other than it being local, <laughs> what, what made you decide on the Ecclesia Nostica? Well, I mean, I just sort of stumbled upon their website and started reading uh, about the parish and stuff. And I was like, you know, I'd kind of missed going to Mass. Um, mm -hmm. I'd go to the Catholic Church every once in a while, but wasn't really feeling it. So I thought, well, I'll go check them out. Um, I was actually practicing Wicca at the time, so that was <laughs> a thing. That happens. But, um, but yeah, um, you know, they were they were pretty close. I was, I was a little bit nervous going by myself, you know, for the first time, but uh, it just seemed very familiar. Um, you know, the liturgy is very close to the Catholic liturgy. Mm -hmm. um, so it... it just kind of felt like home. Yeah. Excellent. I think that happens. I hear that a lot um, in esoteric agnostic churches. People will say this feels like home. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The other thing that I think is interesting also is I, I, I often, not with everybody, but I often hear about people, a uh, very familiar pattern is people have an interest in this at a very early age. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we just interviewed Bishop Heller, and he was talking about how he was a very young man when he was interested in, in, these, in these things. And you were talking about the same thing. Um, Deacon Windsor, when I was uh, a young youngster, I heard about these extra books of the Bible, and I wanted to see what they were all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, you know, I remember having that exact experience myself. So it's, it's always interesting to me that this is such a pattern for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A lot of my friends are the same way, you know, that yeah. it, it's just been kind of a lifelong thing like it was meant to be, you know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know for myself, you know, uh, probably my interest probably started uh, getting interest probably as young as fifth or sixth grade. And by yeah. the time I was in high school, it was like full swing. I mean, by the time I was, you know, uh, 16 years old, you know, I'm reading uh, Israel Regardi's, you know, The Golden Dawn and, you know, everything I can esoterically and then uh, stumbling on and finding things in Gnosticism. But it was the same type of thing. I had heard about extra books of the Bible, you know, started reading things like the Dead Sea Scrolls and and other things. And uh, it definitely, uh, I think for many of us, uh, you know, changed kind of that trajectory that we are on, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, too, that, you know, when you are kind of told you're not supposed to read something, it sort of makes <laughs> right. you want to read it more. <laughs> Absolutely. But then you start reading these things and you find something of value in them, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's what's great. So. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about exactly what is the book of hours and what is praying the hours? Mm-hmm. Well, the book of hours, um, you know, so there's there's a long tradition of the divine office in Christianity mm-hmm. that goes back to really its very origins. Um, and traditionally, it incorporates, you know, the book of Psalms, the Psalms of David. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it kind of developed with, with monasticism. Um, and, you know, it's also been imposed on the on the clergy in the Western Church. So the priests are required to pray it. The deacons are required to pray it. And out of this also grew then the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, which kind of came from uh, the common of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So the part of the divine office that is prayed on her feast days. And um, it just sort of developed into its own uh little office with a, a small selection of psalms that are recited. Um, it kind of goes back to about the 8th century. And it's basically just, you know, uh, keeping the hours of the day. Um, traditionally, there are eight uh, canonical hours, um, seven, depending on how you want to count them. Sometimes matins and louds are considered one office. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just constantly sanctifying the hours of the day from from sunrise to sunset, and even in the middle of the night. Um, it's just constantly, you know, no matter what you're doing, uh, stopping and praying. Um, of course, it's a lot easier for, for monastics because that's kind of their work. But mm-hmm. um, out in the real world, it's a little more difficult. But, you know, just uh, stopping and taking, you know, 10, 15 minutes to pray in office and uh, constantly turning your mind back to yeah. God, you know. I know it's been, when I when I have been followed the discipline, it's, it's incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the sense, as you said, you use stopping. And, and I, think that, I think that's like that's a key word here, is that you stop. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, mm-hmm. you have this, you're on this kind of a hamster wheel during the day, and all of a sudden you stop 
to recognize the sacred, and and and, and it that's it's very powerful, and mm-hmm. probably one of the strong. I think I think it is one of the strongest disciplines one can practice. Mm-hmm. Oh, so do I. It's been called Christian yoga, yoga by some people, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of appropriate in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I, I wanted to ask you, what um, what other practices have you done over the years and, and what made you gravitate towards the hours uh, in, as opposed to some of the other ones? Or, I mean, you know, I guess it doesn't have to be opposed to some of the other ones, but... Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I mean, I meditate, um, Lectio Divina, um, I pray the rosary a lot, um, but I, I started praying the, the Catholic Liturgy of the Hours uh, several years ago, and um, I, I just found that I, I liked that. I mean, I still pray the rosary, and I pray um, a lot of chaplets. I love the chaplet of St. Michael. Um, I kind of, I have my own Gnostic version on, on my blog. Um, but, but there's something special about the hours, and I think that there's something really valuable in praying the psalms themselves, too, because mm-hmm. they, they really take you through the full range of human emotion, which I, I think, you know, approaching different emotions in a very prayerful way can also be very healing. And, you know, some of the psalms are kind of scary and kind of yeah. violent, mm-hmm. you know, but, but we do experience feelings of anger, too, and so it, it's good to pray about that and, yeah. and uh, you know yeah that was one of the challenging things that uh, i've always well in fact uh, when we had um, a presentation on the uh, uh liturgy of the hours at uh, the joe and i conclave uh, gosh i want to say 2010 2011 mm-hmm. some somewhere around there um a lot of people had difficulty with specifically with the Psalms and mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of kind of uh, Lord, I am, but a worm, please do not trample on me. And, and some mm-hmm. other things like, Lord, please grind my enemies into dust because I hate them and they're awful and yeah. should die in a fire. And you yeah. know, and there's a lot that can trip somebody up about that, uh, you know, and there, but there's different ways to look at them, you know, that you can look at them in a more kind of, symbolic uh, parable sense or you know that they're all they everything stands for something else especially when you're talking about scripture right <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i think it's also the acknowledgement that this is these are feelings that people actually have uh and many people do i mean many people do you know be, have experienced rage or despair um and yet there's this sense of trying to connect to God no matter what one's emotional state is. And the Psalms can serve, I think, as a very good reminder of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be very powerful. You know, it, it, this, what you were talking about, Dick and Windsor, this may sound a little strange, but I'm remembering um, Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, who was actually a Presbyterian minister. But you know, part of the reason why he started his show is that he wanted to promote mental health among children by encouraging them mm-hmm. to identify a range of emotions and being able to express these. So wait a minute. Let let me get this straight. He wanted to promote mental health in children and then created those puppets? Yeah. (laughs) Because those are freaky puppets. (laughs) Well, especially Lady Elaine Fairchild. Oh, they were awful people. Can you imagine me? My name's Elaine. I I grew up with her. But, um, but, you know, that was was for him, you know, 
that was for if you've ever seen his test, testimony before Congress, it's pretty powerful. Mm. You can find it on mm-hmm. on YouTube. But mm-hmm. he 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 was a very spiritual man, and he recognized that. And so he had those scary puppets and you know Lady Elaine Fairchild acting out all the time, and you know he really acknowledged that. Um, and so I, I think that um, you know even with, with those psalms that are that that can be brutal. Um, I think C.S. Lewis called some of them contemptible. Um, you know, th- th- we can find some, we can find, we can identify with that with a psalmist. And I all, but also recognize that this individual was able to try and connect with God. And I think that that's um, very important for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not so spiritual that we can't have negative feelings or feelings of despair or whatnot. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, we've got to we've got to confront our shadow sides. You know, yep. and, and that's one way to do it. Um, you know, the, I mean, after the reforms of Vatican II, the, the Catholic Church removed some of the psalms from the divine office, some of those imprecatory psalms. And I, I think that's unfortunate, you know, I, it, but, you know, they kind of felt that they were a little too uncomfortable for people. And I wish they'd kept them around personally, but. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you I, can write your own. Oh, wait. <laughs> you have. <laughs> I remember when I was uh, serving an internship at at, at this chapel, and um, there was the passage about dashing the little ones' heads against the rocks. Right. You know, blessed are those. And um, I was single at the time, and one of the other the lay readers that was there, she was she just had a baby, so the uh, the minister, the, the pastor, had me read the bit about dashing the kids against the rocks because I didn't have a kid, and I, <laughs> I it didn't quite make make sense to me, but. Uh, but that was apparently in, it, that was actually in the revised common lectionary, so hmm. they didn't take that one out. So, so Deacon Eric, um, what exactly is the <laughs> little office of the Blessed Sophia, and what was your your inspiration in writing this? Oh, I'm. I think we might have a bit of a delay issue happening here. Oh dear! Oh dear! <laughs> Yep, I'm actually, it seems like I've lost Deacon Eric right now. Yes. I'm seeing a, a pause. <laughs> That's Deacon okay. Eric. Live yeah. television, folks. No, we'll get him back. We're um, going to bring him back. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, I um, I did want to uh, follow up on that. The, the idea about... Um, about creating your own thing, uh, and, and we you know made a bit of a joke about it, but um, I think that's... It could be seen in one of two ways. You know, you see a lot of people who, uh, you know, write their own prayer service and and, and mm-hmm. do their own thing. And some people would look at that and say, "Well, what gives you the right to do that?" Right. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you know, certainly as Gnostics, uh, I think that that's something that we should all be working towards. I think some everybody should try and write their own something or other, whether it's a gospel or a, a prayer service or a rosary or. Mm-hmm. Any number of those things, because it, I, I think that we have those, that kind of freedom, uh, and, and we should probably take advantage of it. You know that that was one of the things, obviously, that all of the uh, <laughs> the ancient Gnostics were being accused of is you know writing their enormous fictions and their uh, yeah. you know random gospels and you know mm-hmm. what, a, what a great it, tradition that we have. When you look at though people being still being touched by that even today. Um, clearly, even though they, they may have been highly personal and about highly personal experiences or even experiences, teachings within a closed community, the fact that we are still reading them today and, and uh, obtaining 
you know, inspiration from them says a lot about the importance of writing our own things down and sharing them within community. Mm-hmm. Maybe it maybe it will touch a nerve with somebody else. Sometimes it'll be something entirely for us, but when we're willing to risk that and share, I think that's really important. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can say, you know, even from my own experience, uh, you know, I still get uh, um, emails from complete strangers uh, over either liturgies that I have either um, composed well over a decade ago, which may not even be in use by me any longer, but has touched people because it's out there on the internet. Um, you know, even I've had uh, recent uh, new additions, you know, to our church because they have, you know, seen uh, like my uh, modern Western Rite liturgy, or um, um, they have seen, uh, you know, my modern uh, baptism. Uh, right and it is touched them in a way and and you know so uh, i would totally agree with father tony in this i think you know this is something as gnostics that we should be actively um you know pursuing and and actually encouraging within uh, the members of our church is is that process of creating new Gnostic materials. So I, you know, that's why I kind of applaud, you know, Eric, when I see something like this, you know, uh, um, you know, a kind of a new book of hours of prayer, because, uh, you know, I think that anytime we get sort of these new innovations uh, within our current, um, you know, when we had Bishop Heller on earlier today, um, you know, he was talking about this kind of being kind of a new Gnostic Renaissance in many ways that he felt was superior to the Gnostic Renaissance that happened at the, you know, end of the you know, of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century. And I would have to agree with him. I think that there's a lot of creativity out there today. There's uh, um, obviously we have a lot more scholarly work out. Mm-hmm. today than we did a hundred years ago but I think that also I think even within the community we just have uh, I think such a, a love of this tradition that people are really putting their hearts and souls and developing things that hopefully will encourage others uh, not only of I think pursuit of, of, of the Gnostic path but of their own ideas of thinking and and their own ideas of creation you know yeah can uh, we have a question from one of our actually from our newest Patreon supporter, Alan? Thank you, Alan. Uh, and uh, he has a question about the Psalms, uh, specifically for uh, how they're used as a meditative uh, focus. Can Can you talk a little bit about how the Psalms can be used that way, Eric? I'm sorry, you cut out a little bit as a oh. as a meditative focus. Yeah, yeah. How you use the Psalms, kind of. Well, how do you use the Psalms specifically in the in the hours for people who aren't familiar with the hours? And then, and then, do you know of any other ways that you use them, or other people can use them for meditation? Um, well, you know, they're certainly uh, chanted, which um, I think uh, lends an even more meditative quality to them. Um, there's something about chant- chanting that that kind of alters our consciousness a little bit, um, you know, especially when you listen to Gregorian chants. Um, uh, just um, singing them, I, I've participated in um, singing the hours uh, at a Catholic church where we'd sing it in choir, and so it was kind of a call and response sort of a thing where one choir would sing and then the other choir would respond with another line. Um, So there are kind of different ways of doing that. Um, When I pray them on my own, 
I tend to pause after each psalm and sort of reflect on it a little bit before moving on to the next one. Um, just kind of mull over the words and, and think about specific lines that kind of struck me. Um, maybe even questions that I had while reading it. You know, maybe something bothered me a little bit or, you know, that sort of thing. Hmm. Of course, in, in my book, I don't even actually use the Psalms. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a totally different thing. But, um, but yeah, I, th they are great to pray. I, I, I've encouraged people even at my church to, to pray them. Even if they don't, you know, pray a full divine office, just to pray the Psalms, you know, one or two here or there. Mm -hmm. Now, I haven't had a chance to really dig into your uh, your book yet, but I've I've given it the once over <laughs> in, the, mm -hmm. in the short time I had this <laughs> afternoon before the show. Uh, the um, it it follows the the liturgical calendar of the Ecclesiastica. Do you? How does that fit in? So let's say somebody wanted to use it and they weren't specifically a member of the Ecclesia Gnostica. Um, how, what, what advice would you give them? Well, so I, I should just offer a little disclaimer here. Um, this isn't really a, an EG sanctioned practice. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it was designed to be uh, kind of ecumenical. For any Gnostic. Um, so I, I did use the EG's calendar. There are a lot of our feast days that are on there. Um, but I also consulted the AJC's calendar, um, the Roman calendar, uh, even the Orthodox calendar. Um, so there, and, and I created some new feast days as well. So um, there are some extra feast days dedicated to Sophia. Um, and if you're familiar with uh, Father Troy Pierce's Gnostic calendar that he used to put out, yeah. um, he hasn't done it recently, no, but I miss uh, yeah, I, I, I miss it too. It was great, <laughs> but he had a lot of you know extra feast days um, for Gnostic saints that we don't necessarily celebrate in our church, but mm -hmm. you know he'd kind of include them in the calendar. So there were a lot of sources that went into to that whole process there. Mm. Yeah. Great. Uh, did you learn anything while you were doing it? Oh, I, I learned about some, you know, I wish I could have included like hagiographies, you know, for all the saints that are included, because I learned about some pretty unusual saints. <laughs> um, I, you know, there, there are, of course, there are a lot of Gnostic saints, modern and ancient, um, and a lot of, you know, Catholic saints, some saints that might not even seem so uh, Gnostic, but <laughs> and there are also some some kind of silly saints. I think my favorite one was uh, St. Mergen, who had a, a huge following in Ireland um, centuries ago. And uh, she was said to be the, the daughter of a king, That uh, and there was a big flood, and everybody died except her and her dog. And she was said to have been turned into a mermaid, and and her dog was turned into an otter. And they lived in the sea for, for 300 years, and then these Catholic monks came along and rescued them, and they baptized her, and at that moment she... Uh, received a Christian soul and died that same day. So she was no longer physically immortal. And so it's kind of a silly story, but you know, I think it's cute. And I yeah. included that. So. <laughs> and Michael Stroyan was very jealous of her having an otter of her. I know. Own. I know. I mean, I, we both Deacon love Stroyan otters. Loves otters so. so yeah, well, otters <laughs> we are cool. you know, we have a, a, an orphaned otter in Chicago at the shed aquarium. And they finally uh, had a contest, people, t to name her. But, yeah, there's a baby otter that's being trained. And they had to try and train her because she doesn't have 
a mother, she, they're trying to train her to be an otter. So they got humans doing that. So it's, it's been quite the event in Chicago. Oh, that sounds cute. <laughs> Tune in next week for OtterCast when we discuss it. <laughs> uh, well, that's fantastic. So Bishop Canterbury, before we lost Deacon Windsor briefly there for a second, mm -hmm. you, you had a question. I, I wonder if you remember what it was because I don't. I I do. You know, I was just going to, you know, basically ask him what was his inspiration, you know, for, for, for writing this book. Well, you know, like like I said, I love the Divine Office and the Little Office of the Blessed Virgin. Um, but I really wanted something specifically Gnostic. Mm -hmm. And um, because I have a big devotion to Sophia, I really wanted something dedicated to her. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's kind of where this started. You know, the... The traditional offices are great, but yeah, they do tend to focus very heavily on what miserable sinners we are, and and there's a lot of, you know, orthodox theology that doesn't necessarily speak to me as a Gnostic. I wanted to be able to have something that would incorporate, you know, our own theology and our own mythos, you know, mm -hmm. so it's kind of the inspiration. Because I think, you know, for a lot of Gnostics, I mean, there has not been... Uh, a lot of material as far as like uh, for like a book of hours. I mean, uh, yeah. to my to my knowledge, my memory, the only one that I can think of at the top of my head is the work by June Singer. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that for many Gnostics, uh, you know, who have been kind of praying the hours, uh, the work of June Singer has probably been it for most of them. Um, mm -hmm. So it's interesting to see, you know, um, someone's a little bit different take on this, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, that's I guess where I'm going. Where was your inspiration? I mean, uh, with the June Singers, did her, I think, kind of pivotal work on this, was that an inspiration for you? Well, yeah, I, you know, I loved her book, and, and um, of course, I mean, it's beautiful. The artwork is gorgeous, and mm -hmm. uh, and her reflections on, on the scriptural passages are great, but um, I guess I wanted something with more of a liturgical structure mm -hmm. to it, you know? I mean, yeah. I love the readings, and I, and but you know, they are just readings kind of yes. assigned to particular times of day and mm -hmm. wanted something a little more in-depth than that. So. Mm -hmm. I, I love June Singer's book, but it, as Deacon Windsor points out, it, it's um, far more um, meditative. I mean, there, there's a there's a Gnostic scripture and a commentary, which is very beautiful and wonderful. Um, but previously, I, I've turned to Phyllis Tickle's um, hours, but uh, she she's a Christian and writes from an ecumenical, kind of an ecumenical Christian point of view, but that is not Gnostic. And they're wonderful, but I, I was longing for something, uh, you know, that kind of combined uh, Gnosticism along with Phyllis Tickle's more devotional, liturgical aspects. So I, I'm really excited mm -hmm. about Deacon Windsor's book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is something that I think is, is pretty important for those who identify with kind of ecclesiastical Gnosticism. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's lots of stuff out there that you could just kind of throw together, but to have something that connects you with the wider community, you know, that you know that on the the feast of yes. the Assumption of the Holy Sophia, you're going to be praying this thing as so is, you know, so are the other 35 right. Gnostics, you know, that mm -hmm. are, you know, off somewhere else that you don't know about in a group mm -hmm. down, you know, in Florida where you are, Bishop Canterbury, they'll be mm -hmm. doing it, and, and it kind of just brings everybody together in a in a kind of family. I mean, that's what that's what Ecclesia is, right? It's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's incredibly powerful. I mean, I, I know that my own prayer practice, there have been times when I, uh, when I say the Lord's Prayer, 
um, that I can, you know, I, I actually visualize other people also kneeling and I can hear their voices all praying it together. And it makes that experience so much more powerful because I do know that, you know, anytime or given time around the world, there's somebody starting the Lord's Prayer at the same time I am. And I think that's, I find that incredibly powerful. And as Father Tony says, for, for Gnostics, having this thing that we can work with together, I think is just, it's just absolutely wonderful. And it's so important, particularly for, I know a lot of our listeners, Listeners and viewers who are, you know, uh, solo, you know, who are solo Gnostics. Yeah, I would venture no, to say the majority. The majority. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. how precious anything our community produces is to them. And so for that, you know, Deacon Eric, I think you've done an amazing service to them, whether whether that was your intention or not. Um, oh, it was definitely, yeah, that. part of my intention because, Good. you know, I have a lot of friends that I talk to online that, yeah. They live out in the middle of nowhere where there's no Gnostic church. They can go to the Catholic church or, you know, the, the Episcopal church, but, you know, there there isn't much for them as a Gnostic. And so, um, yeah, I hope that this book will kind of help them out too and help people that are fortunate enough to have a church near them. But uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's something that a church or a study group could work together and to work on together mm-hmm. and saying, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to make, we're going to do this for a year. We're going to pledge to to pray the hours together for a year. I think that that mm-hmm. could be um, a remarkable thing for an or for a group to be doing together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's actually a great idea, you know. And then sort of uh, do this kind of get together, compare notes, uh, see what type of personal experience they've had. I think that's a fantastic idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I think that's going to be great. So I'm just so excited by the new material, um, Deacon Erica. You know, it, to me, it was it's just um, you know talking with Bishop Heller, who 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 came into Gnosticism with no with very minimal material. I mean, they, he had some material, but not a lot, mm-hmm. and he produced quite a bit of it. And then, of course, we had the various academics like Elaine Pagels. Um, you know, Karen King, they, they went on to produce other things, uh, but now just have our own community um, continuing this with mm-hmm. as we get more and more information as, as new gospels and translations and whatnot are, are discovered. I think it's just it's so important for us to continue to produce our own material mm-hmm. uh, for mm-hmm. each other. And it's interesting that I see, you know, maybe every, once every two weeks or so, I'll run across a, a new scholarly paper by somebody I've never heard of. And, you know, it used to be that the Gnostic scholars would, you know, you could fit them all in a phone booth. <laughs> so kids ask your mom what a phone booth is. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and and now there's so many people who are studying this this material and working with it that, you know, I, I don't know who most of them are, I would imagine. And it's it's great. It's, it's amazing to to find all of this new material and new resources coming out all the time. Mm-hmm. When you yeah, get so many good. different ideas from, you know, different perspectives and stuff. And so yeah. it's always kind of interesting to hear other people's interpretations and, you know. Yeah, yeah I, I often say that if you uh, get five Gnostics in a room, you'll have six opinions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah at least. At least. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. That's the problem, yeah. Sometimes they bring their alter- alternate personalities in. And, <laughs> yeah. Shadow um, sides. You know, back to one of the questions I see in our notes here, um, for our listeners who are not familiar, what are the Odes of Solomon? So the Odes of Solomon um, are 
an ancient Christian uh, collection. They're often found together with the Psalms of Solomon, mm. although the Psalms of Solomon are distinctly Jewish, but the odes are very Christian. And they, they seem to come from somewhere in the first three centuries. Um, and they may very well represent a time in history where uh, Gnostic terminology was a little bit more acceptable amongst non-Gnostics, um, because there is a lot of uh, Gnostic ideas in there. There's a there's a heavy em emphasis on knowledge. Um, that's kind of the big thing. Uh, but and and they they do just kind of have a, a mystical quality to them. Um, there. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. Uh, one one particular Gnostic idea uh, in in Ode Eight, there's kind of a suggestion that the Savior needed saving. Um, there there's an idea. Um, that, well, the line is, uh, "Ye who were redeemed, and the one who was redeemed." Um, that seems to kind of hint at at maybe a Gnostic ideology there. Um, there's also uh, quite a bit of um, divine feminine in it, um, in the way that God is described. Um, Ode 8 also says, uh, my own breasts I prepared for them, that they might drink my holy milk and live by it. Um, Ode 19 uh, talks about, um, a cup of milk was offered to me and I drank it in the sweetness of God's kindness. Uh, the son is the cup and the father is he who was milked and the Holy Spirit, she who milked him because his breasts were full and it was undesirable that his milk should be ineffectually released. So um, I love some of the imagery that's present in the odes, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and there's, there's also some uh, more orthodox ideas. Um, you know, Jesus is, is a big uh, focus in the odes, uh, the virgin birth, uh, the harrowing of hell, uh, the Trinity, mm -hmm. um, there's even been some suggestions that it may be related to Johannine literature as well. Um, there's a heavy emphasis on Jesus as the Logos. So, I'm going to have to look yeah. into that. Um, and it's interesting. Yeah, they're, they're beautiful. <laughs> well, it sounds beautiful. I, the feminine imagery, imagery particularly interests me. Um, because I, I remember it, when feminist, the, you know, feminist theologians are constantly getting picked on, and uh, there was a gathering, and I forget the name of it, but it was a it was a gathering probably in the um, in the late nineties, uh, in which there was a you know a, a very feminine service among these very uh, these uh, theologians and clergywomen, and they had a milk and honey ceremony. And it it just drove conservatives batty. Um, there were there, there there was actually even within the denominations, there there have been representatives from the Presbyterian churches, the the United Methodist churches, and there were the conservative groups inside these denominations went nuts over this milk and honey service, and they seem to wow. think all oh, this is is a, is a modern innovation when in fact this is clearly not. This kind of imagery is not a modern innovation mm -hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you say that because milk and honey is kind of a theme in several of the odes too. It mentions milk and honey quite a bit. So, <laughs> all right, there you go. Yeah, That's I'm cool. fond of both. So, <laughs> yeah, it's delicious. <laughs> now, what is? Do you the have uh, any? Uh, I just. Did... <laughs> 
I think we were talking over each other. Go ahead, Bishop Peterson. <laughs> I, I was going to ask. I mean, I I know you've just you're in recuperating from having done this, but are, do you have any further volumes planned? Any further um, hours or devotionals planned? Well, you know, now that I've completed this, I'm actually thinking of maybe doing a book of saints of some sort so that I can actually explore the lives of, of all the saints that are commemorated in this. Because um, there are over a hundred of them in the in the commemoration section of the book. So uh, that would be kind of interesting. Um, I think that I think that would be great, um, particularly for folks who can't go to a church service, um, you know, to read the life of a saint on on. on their feast day or something. I think that would be wonderful. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And you could even at some point cross-reference uh, the two works. I think that would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think they would really complement each other. So, yeah. Yes, I think so. <laughs> Bishop Canterbury, what were you going to ask? I was just going to ask, uh, you know, what is the Office of the Dead and why was this included in, the, in your little office? Mm -hmm. So, in, if you look at... Um, medieval books of ours, uh, they often include both the, the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the office of the dead. Um, mm -hmm. And in England, there was actually a tradition of, they were called primers, and so they would include both of those in addition to various litanies and uh, prayers and, and things of that sort. Um, but the, the Office of the Dead uh, traditionally consists of uh, just three offices, three hours, uh, Vespers, Matins, and Louds. Um, and it's prayed, you know, when someone passes away. Uh, it's prayed for the repose of uh, departed souls in general. Um, and, of course, it's it's kind of traditional to pray it on All Souls Day. Um, this, this particular version that's in uh, the little office... Um, is actually uh, a practice of the Gnostic Confraternity of All Departed Souls, which is a confraternity that I started um, last January, I think. And there aren't that many of us in it, but we're all kind of devoted to praying for the dead and, mm -hmm. uh, and for each other. And uh, so this is one of our practices. We also have a, a, a rosary for the dead that we pray once a week and some short daily prayers, but uh, the office is prayed um, once a month. Uh, and so I thought it would be nice to include that as well. So, And it's uh, it's kind of centered around um, the 15, it, it actually uses the Psalms this time. Uh, it's centered around the 15 gradual Psalms, which are traditional Psalms to offer for the dead. And they're mm -hmm. all pretty short, so they're kind of divided. There's five Psalms for each hour. Um, so it doesn't take too long to pray, but it's it's kind of a nice way to remember the dead and, and, and pray for them. I think that's important. Um, I, I can't speak for younger people, but I think as we get older, when we have many people who have who we've loved very much, who have had a significant influence on our lives, um, and it, as you get older and warmer, people start dying on you, mm -hmm. and to have uh, to have that be ability to remember them in a sacred way, mm -hmm. um, I think is I think is, can be very very healing mm -hmm. for many of us. Yeah, I, I find it healing. I mean, yeah, I you know I'm not terribly old, but. I, as I get older, I mean, I, I've lost some people that are very close to me, and and so it is nice to feel that sense of uh, community with them, even though they're no longer here, you know. And I think when you, in a sense, when you're praying the hours, 
um, you're intentionally remembering them instead of having just the intrusion. Something comes up during the day and you have that intrusion, you know, you're, you're reminded of that person and that can be very mm-hmm. stinging and very painful. Uh, I would imagine from a, from a healing perspective, intentionally being intentional about your remembrances and doing that on a regular schedule could actually just, you know, be far, be far, be, be healing mm-hmm. and uh, can make those unintentional reminders uh, less painful and perhaps even more joyful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Deacon Eric, um, we talk a lot about spiritual practice uh, on this show. Um, I know you have your, your, your book of hours. What would you recommend to the person who is just bewildered, who is just basically saying, I, you know, I am afraid to even try to commit to this sort of thing, to, to doing so many prayers in a day. How would you recommend that somebody who lives a very busy lifestyle, but who honestly wants to try but is afraid of failing, how would you recommend that they start with a spiritual practice? Oh, you know, I mean... Even with just this book, just praying one hour is mm-hmm. fine. Um, you don't have to commit to all of them. And of course, there are a lot of other practices out there. If, if you look at my blog, too, there's a lot of different suggestions on there. The rosary is great to pray or uh, chaplets. Um, a lot of times I even just suggest praying the Our Father. That's mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite prayers. And, you know, it doesn't take too long, but there's a lot to meditate on when when you pray it. Um Praying it maybe twice a day, three times a day if you've got time, you know. Yeah. And just starting. Just just try. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if you haven't you know, done anything yet, then even doing one thing is 100% better. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, starting small, but mm-hmm. but the effort, I think, is what helps. You know, the, the more effort you put into it and the more you consciously make time, even if it's just 10 minutes, uh, the easier it gets, you know, and then, and then maybe you can start tacking on more practices as, as, as you get used to that, you know, um, so it definitely kind of snowballs. It, it certainly has for me. (laughs) Do you see spiritual practice as necessary for somebody on the Gnostic path or is there, is it just cool to do? I think it's incredibly important. Um, you know, I, something I've noticed with with a lot of esotericists is that they can very easily get stuck in their own heads. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that I mean I think that meditation is incredibly important. Um, but sometimes I think that just simply a devotional practice where you're just worshiping God because He's God, and you're not trying to do anything for yourself specifically you're not uh asking for anything you're just worshiping um i think that has a huge benefit too because not only does it lift us up but it can also kind of ground us a little bit and get us out of our headspace you know mm-hmm. yeah i would agree <laughs> so mm-hmm. um a lot of uh, gnostic uh denominations uh, they either replace uh, Marian feasts with Sophian feasts, or if not replace them outright, then uh, make an, a, a specific association between um, Mary or Marys in in some mm-hmm. cases and the figure of Sophia. Um, mm-hmm. 
so what was your inspiration for uh, doing this uh, specifically for Sophia and, and what, why did you pick Sophia, I guess, specifically as opposed to uh, Mary or some other figure in the Gnostic cosmology? Well, um, I love Mary. Mary's great, but, uh, I, I sort of, I, I came to the Gnostic church, uh, due to, a. a mystical experience that I had. I, I don't talk about it a whole lot, but it, it involved Sophia. And um, so I really believe that if it hadn't been for her, I probably wouldn't be at the church that I'm at now. And so I've always kind of felt um, a strong devotion to her because of that. Um, and and so I, I wanted to do something for her, you know, something to honor her. Um, and uh, that I... I yeah, I guess that's all I really have to say about that. <laughs> there, there is another question here in the chat. Um, so I, I think that this might be a, a question of uh, of language. Um, the, the the question is about the the separation of masculine and feminine. I think because you brought up divine feminine earlier, and, and I think some of our listeners may not know what that term specifically means in this context, as opposed to divine masculine or divine neuter or other. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean, certainly the masculine and feminine aren't separate. You know, when you, when you think in terms of, of the unknown father, the, the light, um, but the Gnostic mythos kind of describes the divine in, in masculine and feminine terms, you know, with, through the, the emanations, through the aeons. And so Sophia is uh, sort of one of the feminine faces of the divine. Um, certainly the Holy Spirit is as well. Certain Gnostics may actually identify Sophia with the Holy Spirit, uh, but that's kind of debatable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it could be a whole yeah. other show, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's more. Uh, I I think of it in terms of um, slightly different energies, and not necessarily you know male or female, but but complementary energies. Um, you know, when you read uh, about the emanations in, in, you know, like the secret book of John, the, the, the aeons are all paired. Uh, you know, the syzygies have a masculine half and a feminine half. And and the two energies kind of work together to, to further emanate. Um, and so it kind don't. of represents a, a balanced whole. Yeah. 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 Well, we are uh, approaching our hour here, and I wanted to give everybody a chance uh, if they had any final parting thoughts that they would like to share, um, either about the book or about anything in particular. I'm just thrilled that this book is, has been published, and I, I you know, hope that Deacon Eric will follow through on some of his other plans for writing about Gnostic saints. I think that's <laughs> going to be just awesome. Yeah, And I think that this is, you know, again, this is another option for people who are pursuing spiritual practice. There are, there are many options out there. Father Tony has written a book about Gnostic spiritual practice from, from, from a, his point of view and Jonite point of view. And, and, and you've, you're offering something a little bit different here. And I think uh, the more the merrier. The community mm -hmm. can use this oh, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I hope to see more Gnostics come out with uh, devotional practices like this and, and more material. We need it. I yeah. yeah, I think so. so. 
<laughs> all right, Deacon, tell people on the internet where they can find you and where they can buy the book and all that stuff. Okay, well, the book is available on Amazon. Um, uh, I, I can't think of the link off the top of my head, but, but search for it. Um, my, my blog is uh, GnosticDevotions.wordpress.com. And uh, it doesn't get updated a whole lot, but there there is a lot of material on there. And of course, uh, my church's website is also located um, on gnosis.org/seattle. Uh, so if anyone happens to be in Seattle and would like to visit us, uh, they're more than welcome to do so. So. All right, terrific. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming and talking with us about your book and about all yeah. that other stuff. Fantastic. Yeah, thank, thank you for you having so me. Thank you so much. Thanks <laughs> so much. Hope to have you again sometime. Yeah, yeah thank you. And before you, we go here, just wanted to uh, remind everybody that this show is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. So if you are enjoying these shows and you want to help us uh, create more and better stuff for you, uh, then you can go over to patreon.com slash Gnostic and uh, give us a little bit of money and we will uh, – Greatly appreciate it. You can sit in on the recordings of these podcasts as we do them live and uh, all kinds of other interesting rewards and, of course, our eternal thanks. So uh, please go and do that if you haven't done so already. And uh, I, think that's, I think that's all we got. So for everybody listening along at home, we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Good night, everyone. This has been a production of the Gnostic NYC Network. For more information about this and all of the Gnostic NYC Network's programming, visit GnosticNYC.com. The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Gnostic NYC, Talk Gnosis, or any other organization. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International License. 